Hey Horror Honeys, head to adamandeve.com and use special code HORROR at checkout for 50% off and free shipping on almost any item. Enjoy the show! I'm sorry. Hi everyone! Hey folks! Welcome to another exciting episode of a podcast called I'm Horrified. I'm Horrified. Episode 45. Woo! Woo! And as we speak, or I guess not that, as you're listening to this, yes. we are at PodCon. Yes, it just ended. It just theory. ended, I guess. That's not as exciting. We're <laughs> we're still physically in Seattle. We're getting on a plane right now. Sexy. We're guess in... what I'm going to listen to on that plane? This episode of I'm Horrified. This episode. And if you're getting on a plane, you should listen to it. That's not a good, <laughs> it's not a good tagline. Um, but we're... We hope we had a good time. We're sure we did. Yeah. Check our Twitter at I'm Horrified Pod for all of our antics. They will be there. I'm gonna just say some things that I'm gonna assume will happen. Okay. Um, Hank Green gave me a hug. Right. I was knighted by John Green. Absolutely. Hannah Hart and I tongue kissed. Yeah. And I was watching. And Allie was there. Yep. Um, Demi Adejui Bay gave me an intimate high five. Absolutely. Uh, and I saw it with my own two eyes. Yeah. And we... Finally adopted Adel Rafai as our father. Yes. That happened. And he's here with us today. Adel. Adel, come on out! No, he's shy. He's, oh, he's here, so but he doesn't want to talk. He's so shy. Um, but he's here. <laughs> he, he's in our bedroom. <laughs> so. So that was PodCon. Um, and <laughs> so fun. It was a blast. It was a blast. We'll have a special episode next week about PodCon. That'll be um, so fun. So that'll be really fun. In a way, that will be an episode of our spinoff podcast, I'm Thrilled. It will, because <laughs> we're thrilled. Um, so this week, I'm going to be talking about a hot button topic. Ooh, hot Un- take. Yeah, hot takes. Unpaid internships. Whoa. Um, and I'm going to be talking about what I believe is also a hot button topic, which, which is self-driving cars. I, my buttons are hot. I, they've been warming up all day. <laughs> These buttons. Ugh. They're uncomfortable to the touch. They're searing. <laughs> They're searing. Okay, but I'm very excited to hear, because I know you've been, like, combing the internet. You've been sourcing important sources. Mostly just talking to all of our artsy friends. Yes. Yes. But I want to hear about this. Let's talk about unpaid internships. Let's do. So, before we get started, we need to get a little bit of definition into our bodies. Yes. Are we ready? I'm ready. What is an unpaid internship? So we're from Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, so I looked up what an unpaid internship is defined as under Massachusetts government. So this is from mass.gov in their section about wage and hour laws. Mm-hmm. So they ask the same question. They say, who can be an unpaid intern? And it's like, we're about to tell you. Here we go. Interns usually must be paid, but there are limited circumstances when they may be unpaid. The Department of Labor Standards determines who can work as an unpaid intern. So one of those types is workers who are getting school or academic credit. Generally, an intern who receives school or academic credit may be an unpaid intern. The other type is workers who are not getting school or academic credit, and if an intern is not receiving school credits, then the intern must be paid at least minimum wage unless the intern is a trainee under state law. This is where it starts getting murky. Interesting. This is a narrow exemption. DLS may determine that someone is a trainee excluded from the minimum wage law if the training, quote, is similar to that which would be given in an educational environment is for the benefit of the intern, Mm -hmm. does not displace regular employees, but the intern works under close supervision of existing staff, 
provides the employer with no immediate advantage from the activities of the intern, so they can't, like, directly benefit from Mm -hmm. what you're doing in the moment. Does not entitle the intern to a job at the conclusion of the training period, so you can't, like, lord that over somebody. Mm -hmm. And is based on a mutual understanding between the employer and the intern that the trainee is not entitled to wages for the time spent in training. Mm. So, um, basically they can't lie to you about the idea that you have a job. Um... So them's the laws, uh, but we run a show called I'm Horrified, so it should surprise no one that this has no real basis on what actually happens in the daily life of an intern. Yep. So to start off with, this is just in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. which is one of the most progressive states in the country. Um, I believe these laws are similar, if not near identical in other states, Mm -hmm. but we're in an extremely academic area, so, you know, these things can be taken a little bit more seriously here. Yeah. Um, there's a little more progressive ideology surrounding unions and labor standards, etc. So that's just something to keep in mind. Definitely. But the idea here is that an internship that's unpaid really should be for college credit. And if it isn't, it has to fit into this narrow category. But when you look at it, you could argue that the category isn't that narrow. The idea that an internship should be for the benefit of an intern is extremely vague. And even the parts that aren't vague, like the idea that the employers shouldn't immediately take profit from them, Mm -hmm. there's no government agency in place that's going to check to see if that's happening or not. Yeah. There's no one, it's no one's job to be like, are you treating your interns okay? Are you selling their work to, Mm -hmm. you know, Nestle to make a profit? Um, the reality is companies both nonprofit and for-profit can design internship structures pretty much however they want to. So this means that there is no real way to define an unpaid internship besides simply the fact that it is an experience that people can sign up for in a workplace and not get paid for it. Yes. And this can run the gamut between places that actually stick to these laws and make it far more like a classroom for interns and they're really committed to the interns learning things all the way to places that take advantage of interns and everything in between. And so this could look like anything from relegating clerical duties to interns, like copying and actually cleaning the office, Mm -hmm. to profiting from people's creative work without compensation, like we just talked about. Um, So let's talk about why either of those scenarios are bad, because that's kind of the two elements of exploitation that occur most commonly. So when I say it's bad that interns are made to copy and clean and do clerical tasks for no pay. I am not implying that, like, precious white college students are too good for those duties. Yes. What needs to be acknowledged is that those activities are labor, Mm -hmm. not a learning experience. And labor deserves to be compensated. So there are people who work as cleaners and sanitation workers who clean office buildings, and there are full-time employees who are doing their own copying and filing, and there are administrators and office managers who do clerical work as part of their paid job. So to make interns do this work for free is basically, like, implying that it's not actually work. Yeah. That it's not real labor. It's just, like, you know, how you're helping out or pitching in, and it can still be part of this learning experience. And so it's hard to kind of think about it this way on the surface, but that's wrong because it devalues those who do those things as their profession. It devalues, you know, a person who's making minimum wage cleaning offices. That says to society, your job doesn't actually matter. Mm -hmm. Not only are we going to pay you minimum wage... But this isn't even really a job. We can just have an intern do this for free and put you out of work, basically. Um, So the people who are already being underpaid, you know, they're already being systematically shunned to margins of society by minimum wage, pushed further and further out of living where they work. You know, they're just being punished for this. So including work of that nature just gives society an excuse to pay these people even less. Yeah. So that's bullshit. That's bullshit number one. Mm -hmm. Bullshit number one of... How many? I don't know. A bajillion. A bajillion. (laughs) 
So and we're going to go through all bajillion All today. bajillion. One out of bajillion. Here we go. <laughs> so now the other not good side of the coin is when a company is actively profiting off of your work. Mm-hmm. This takes it to a whole new level. It's a new illegal level, which is great. Yeah, fun. Um, fun. So we have a good friend and talented designer in our lives, Leah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually does the artwork for our show. So yes. shout out to her. Um, our gorgeous logo with our screaming, glamorous, our screaming, babe. beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, so she shared her experience working in advertising with us. So she said, because I primarily work in ad agency environments, which are built on a direct exchange of goods and services between the agency and their clients, it's all the more apparent if interns are creating work for their own benefit, aka they're solely educational or building up their own personal portfolios, versus if the agency is literally going to sell a print ad or a piece of copywriting or a billboard, etc., mm-hmm. to their client for thousands of dollars. She goes on to say, For an ad agency I unpaid intern for my junior year of college, I had to make some flyers for Hood, the dairy company. Mm-hmm. Shout out to New England Hood, I suppose. Yes, hello. Um, <laughs> Hood's a large company, so they were obviously paying the agency handsomely for the, their contract with them, but I received nothing. It's nothing but pure profit for the agency. It's one thing to expect someone to spend their own t- time with you for free, but it's a whole nother kettle of fish to be profiting off of someone's unpaid labor and creative production. Plus, frequently agencies make their intern side NDAs that prevent them from even using this work in their own portfolios when applying to jobs moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm confident this is the case in many creative industries. So not only are they like, you can't actually use this for your networking or educational advancement, mm-hmm. they're like, we're also going to make money off of this. Yeah. So that's straight up illegal. Yeah. And that's happening in lots of creative industries that mm-hmm. are transactional in that way. So Lee does an excellent job of describing the exploitation that's happening, you know, in that particular industry. And it's something that can become even hazier when you get into industries that are less transactional, like artistic ones, like mm-hmm. the ones that we did. Yes. You know, um, you're writing copy for like a dramaturgy report mm-hmm. or you're helping out during auditions or, you know, you're doing all these kinds of things. And it becomes even easier to just write things off as experience rather than a larger benefit for the company, even if it's something that you would have been paying somebody to do if the interns weren't there. Yeah, it's a it's a weird, hard gray zone, especially, like, in the theatrical world, especially in the nonprofit theatrical world, is, which is what the majority of theater is in Boston, where mm-hmm. we're at right now. Um, if you're not working for Broadway in Boston, you're probably working in nonprofit theater. Yeah. And there's this real feeling of, like, we're all so passionate about the work we're doing mm-hmm. that, like, we're willing to go the extra mile. Yes, that's a good seed to plant now because we will talk about it later. Yeah. But it's something that we should be aware of through this whole conversation mm-hmm. of what are the underlying attitudes under these facts of life that yeah. are happening every day. And that's a really good example of that. Yeah. And I think that exists in... A lot of creative industries and things like advertising, which Mm -hmm. are, you know, kind of creative and kind of really professional. And, you know, um, and even things like law firms, um, it's happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. So um, a whole other facet of this is the idea that you're going to be compensated in ways besides money. Like networking opportunities or community bonding or even free food. And all those things can translate to actual dollar signs for people. Um, But Leah told me something that was really interesting about her experience, which was that it was the paid internships that tended to value their interns more than unpaid internships. Mm -hmm. Um, So she said, it was an internship that paid me $17 an hour that would buy all its employees, including interns, lunch every day. It was an internship that paid me $21 an hour that covered weekly team lunches and hosted a variety of company bonding activities that interns were always invited to. And interns' opinions were welcomed and valued during group brainstorming sessions. 
The agencies that didn't pay their interns were the ones that always made the interns sit separately from the rest of the full-time employees, didn't invite them to team-wide meetings, and only allowed full-time employees to join in on group outings. We were only valued for our free labor, not as people. Yeah. So that's something you have to kind of grapple with when it comes to unpaid internships. If they can't value you in the most important, tangible way that somebody should be valued for labor money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking about, like, RuPaul, money, 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 money. <laughs> like, that's all I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking about uh, <laughs> Mona Lisa Saperstein yeah. from Parks and Rec. Money, money please. please. Yeah, either of those are a good thing to just keep <laughs> bouncing around in your head. Um, like, you have to think about this. If they can't do that, maybe it's less about their ability to do so and more about their company ethics. Yeah. If a company says they truly want to nurture young people in the industry, what do unpaid internships imply about how truthful they are in that endeavor? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just some, that's a little spice. Just a little something Kick to up think this about. already very complex conversation. Just, like, think on it. Also, I feel like this is a good time to say that we pay Leah for her work. Yes, we do. <laughs> and she's very talented. She's based in New York. Her name is Leah Bruyard. I asked her if I could say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you should all hire her and pay her millions of dollars. Yes. So here's the thing about everything I've just said. Here's all of it. Tell me it all. Uh, People are free to make their own choices. If I, Allie Rayner, go to a company and they say, we can't pay you and we can't give you college credit and we can't even really give you a positive experience, but, you know, you can have the bragging rights that you worked here and a line on your resume, I am fully at liberty to say, yeah, I'm okay with that. And uh, this is where we come clean and say, I have done that. Me too. And so has Sam. Yes. (laughs) And so have most of our friends. But the conversation doesn't end there. So we need to broaden how we think about unpaid internships beyond our individual selves, Mm -hmm. particularly people like us who have been able to take them. We need to take this beyond the individual. Yes. Because for some people like me, like you, Sam, Mm -hmm. like all of what I just described is just fine on the individual scale. Maybe we have the free time. Maybe we live with our parents. Maybe we have extra money or simply don't need money because of our situation. Yeah. But beyond this circumstance, we need to consider what unpaid labor in our workforce means to society. So let's take a look at who can and who cannot participate in unpaid internships. Yeah. We're going to break it down. We're doing it. Break it down for me. So we'll start with who can't. It should come as no surprise that many people can't afford to take unpaid work. But let's break that down a little bit. Something that many people, namely people with paying jobs or people who come from money, don't consider is that it costs money to work. Mm -hmm. A 2018 article from The Hill estimates it costs a college student roughly $6,800 to participate in an unpaid internship over a full summer. Because you have to think about it. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how much you scrimp or how much you save. You still have to clothe, house, and feed yourself. Mm-hmm. If somebody is doing all that for you, great. But there are many cases when nobody is doing that for you. Yeah. And that's what that costs. Um, you still have to pay for the bus or for the train or for gas and parking. You mm-hmm. have to pay for medical bills that arise or contribute money to your family depending on your situation. Unfortunately, simply being alive is not free. Mm-hmm. And this is something that a capitalist society completely ignores. There is this pervasive sense of punishment surrounding who works for free and who doesn't. And a lot of it has to do with desire, like mm-hmm. we were talking about. You know, say you want to be a writer. Well, you have to really want it. And you have to want it so much, you're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to pay your dues. That just, like, gets under my skin, <laughs> that idea. You know, like, because let's face it, our society often values us on how much money we're able to make, regardless of how we make it or why we have those opportunities to make that much money. Yeah. You know, we see none of that in leadership. Um, So logic follows that it also values how much we can spend or how much we can afford to ignore. Mm -hmm. Free labor is not simply a neutral experience. It actually has a price tag. Yeah. 
Um, which is something that I didn't consider when yeah. I was taking, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, of course I can. Cause I have a free afternoon, but yeah. it's not that simple. So for this reason, college credit doesn't really make a dent in that problem. As my good friend Rachel puts it, you can't eat credit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most colleges make you pay for credit anyways. And furthermore, why should getting your foot in the door of any industry be re- relegated to people who are just enrolled in college? Mm-hmm. So that's something that a lot of people don't think about. It's like, well, is this about college or is this about starting a career? Yeah. Because you can start a career without, without going to college. So you have to consider what that price tag that always comes with unpaid labor will mean and who it will exclude. It will exclude people living below, at, or near the poverty line. Mm-hmm. And because of a staggering number of reasons that we will save for another episode, this also means it will exclude people of color at vastly higher rates, along with all the intersections therein of, you know, trans and queer people. And it will punish people who are already being punished by a society that values ease of mobility in mm-hmm. every sense of the word. Yeah. So, like, it's easy. It's easier for people with privilege to move around in this universe. It just is. Yeah. And so this is just another example of that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of an acute example because it has to do with how you're going to get more work, mm-hmm. how you're going to end up getting paid work. So let's move on to uh, people like us. People who can, but maybe shouldn't. There you go. Participate. So if what I said previously is true, then we can flip that over for a demographic of people who are likely able to apply and attend unpaid internships. They will be mostly middle class to wealthy, which for many reasons will also mean they are more likely to be white and straight and cis, etc. And if you can't wrap your brain around why that is bad for (laughs) one type of person to contribute to one workforce, you should probably stop listening. We cannot help you. Mm -hmm. Um... So yeah, unpaid internships will often be and are often stuffed with people who are a lot like us. You know, we come from a little bit of money, we had jobs in school, but we didn't have to support ourselves fully, and we were in a creative field. So like, that's your prime candidate. Yeah. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that people from marginalized groups never take or apply for unpaid internships, but like, coming from an overall social perspective, it's just much easier for wealthy people to do what they wanted to, (laughs) you know, everything from pay for their bus ticket to keep a roof over their heads. Yeah. So these two concepts are often linked because of systemic poverty, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, (laughs) yeah, that's not fun. Um, so switching gears, here's something about the world. Um, if everyone agreed to stop doing something, the thing in question would, what, Sam? Go away. Go away. Yes, that's right. So, like, um, take, for example, the movie Billy Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> Do we all know that? I'm familiar with Billy Elliot. Yeah, so, like, they go on strike. So, you know, if only a, pe- a few people go on strike, they maybe fire those people or those people end up going without pay until mm-hmm. they go back to work. But if everyone decides to strike, then all of, a co- all of a sudden the company freaks out and is like, oh, we need our workers more than they need us, I guess. Yeah. And they're entirely likely to say, okay, we're sorry, come back, we'll stop abusing you. Um, and I promise that labor unions and workers' rights are more complicated than that, but <laughs> I just, <laughs> just I, don't, I don't have the time. Um, so it works the same way with unpaid internships, but more subtly. Companies, both for-profit and not-for-profit, know that if they put up a listing for an unpaid internship, it's going to be filled. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to have competition for it. Um, they know that some plucky, probably rich, probably white student will come along and want to pad their resume during winter break or during the summer mm-hmm. or during the semester. Yeah. And because of this, there is no logical reason for them to offer pay. Why would they? Yeah. They don't have any incentive to do that. So that brings us to something we need to think about in terms of unpaid internships, which is solidarity. If you take an internship for free, 
you are telling the people who come after you, it's okay for you to ask me and those who come after me to work for an okay. This is something that can happen. Like, does it suck that this whole system of oppression is not your fault and you know it could look amazing on your resume? Yes, it does suck. It really sucks. But it has to be considered when you're making the choice to work for free, you know, that choice has an impact beyond you and that you're partly responsible for it. And responsibility is the most horrifying thing in the world. It really is. It's the most, that we should do an episode on that. Wowie, it bums me out. Especially now that I think that, like, the entry-level workforce has really gotten used to the fact that people will be doing unpaid uh-huh. internships. They have. They've gotten real cozy in They've that idea. They've gotten real cozy about it. So now, like, if you're applying to an entry-level job in a lot of, like, creative fields, right. it'll be, like, two years experience. And it's like, when did I do that? Yeah, when did <laughs> I, when could I have gotten those two years of experience, if not, yeah. doing an unpaid internship where they would let me do it around my classes? I thought you were going to be my first two years of yeah. experience. <laughs> I guess not. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. But let's, let's go another direction. Oh my god. Um, what if, you say to me, what if, Allie? What if? Um, I hate poor people. And I <laughs> don't care about my impact on labor practices. <laughs> and I just really want to work at Cosmo Magazine. And I don't care who suffers. Yeah. This sounds exactly like you, Sam. <laughs> that, I've been known to, I've said that to you just the other day. Yeah. Well, I have some bad news for you and everyone. No, I just want the things I want. Um, an unpaid internship is still probably a bad idea. There is a great Adam Ruins Everything episode about unpaid internships, <clears throat> and they found out that the hiring rate for people with unpaid internships on their resume and people without is virtually the same. Of so course. you're probably going to get hired at the same rate no matter what. <sighs> and when it comes to paid internships, which probably are a good opportunity, the National Association for Colleges and Employers found that the hiring rate was 28% higher for those who were paid for their work. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that interesting? A different study found that the median graduate who completed an unpaid internship in a for-profit firm received, on average, $19,000 less than the median paid intern in such firms. Yeah. So they already value you less yeah. in and you're hard dollars. Less. And you're expecting less. That's exactly right. So it's like if you come in as a paid intern, they're not going to bring you on at $20,000 a year if that's what they were paying you. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. But if you were working for nothing, that seems like a big step up. Yeah, you go, great, I'm getting paid for my labor now. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Who cares that it's $10,000 a year? Yeah. Um, so what does this all mean? What does it mean, Al? I don't know. Oh my god. That's it. I don't know. Great. <laughs> all right, what are you going to talk about? All right. <laughs> um, basically... Like with a lot of really easy and exciting things in our life, like clothes from H&M or buying things on Amazon, we need to investigate our seemingly innocuous actions and the impact that they have on the world. Mm. What makes this conversation really hard and scary is that unpaid internships, for a lot of people, lead to paid work and lead to new opportunities. Yeah. Or maybe they're just, like, fun and glamorous and you want to post cool Instagrams of your office. Yeah. Or they teach you how to mail merge and then you do use that. Uh, yeah. Like, there, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Like, there's great things that can come from working somewhere great. Yeah. But if dismantling systems of oppression within labor in this country is important to you, and it should be important to all of us, mm-hmm. we need to work on dismantling a system that demeans labor and furthermore demeans those who cannot pay to work for free. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, looping it back to those more emotional, like, the more psychological side of what we were talking about before. 
something to get, like, really fucking angry about is that there is this whole system of baby boomer white dudes who have gotten it in their minds that millennials and Gen Z people should feel privileged to have a job. Yeah. Like, privileged and honored to have a job so they shouldn't ask for anything. So, so many people that I know are scared to ask for raises, they're scared to ask for benefits, like... They're scared to ask for time off because this new generation has been called lazy and ungrateful and told we're lucky just to be in the room. Mm -hmm. And that goes triple for POCs and marginalized groups. But we need to reject that and embrace our actual worth, which we've, like, lost sight of that. Yeah. You know, like, we are worth a roof over our heads and food in our stomachs. There is no job in the fucking world. I do not care what it is that you're doing. If you are going to work every day, if you can and you are going to work every day... You deserve a roof over your head and a meal three times a day. Like, it's just so crazy to me that there are people in this country who don't believe that. Yeah. They genuinely don't believe that. They're like, oh, well, if you're working at McDonald's, too bad. You should have worked harder. You deserve to not be able to pay your rent. Yeah. You know, like, it's your fault. You're on welfare, etc. And then it's like, isn't it funny there, buddy boy, but you want your Big Mac. Exactly. And it's like, no, everyone is serving a purpose in society by contributing to the workforce. So that's bullshit. You know, and like... And, like, furthermore than that, like, we're worth the extra cash for after-work drinks and a vacation every once in a while. And, like, the knowledge that our place of employment values us. Like, we are worth that. Every single person in this who is listening to this is worth that. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that we really need to embrace that. And the more we embrace it for ourselves, the more our employers will be forced to embrace it for people with less opportunity than us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You need to think about everybody else and yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. Oh my god. I think that's it. That's not it, because there's so much more. Yeah. But as, anytime we try to tackle something that's not, like, a VH1 reality show, it's yeah, like, there's so we much. could talk about this for five hours, uh-huh. but we can't. So, just something to chew on. Yes. Um, and we, as always, would love your opinions. We would yeah, love, I want to hear you guys' stories. Yeah, we would love for you to tweet at us, um, at I'm Horrified Pod. We would love for you to send us an email at... There's no app before an email. Yeah. <laughs> at I'm horrified podcast at gmail.com. You know, tell us your thoughts, tell us your stories. We want to hear them. Yes. So, yeah. Can I tell my bad internship story? Yeah, I want to hear your bad internship story. Yeah, because I don't know if you remember this, because we were living together at the time, but I just don't know if, like, I was talking about what was happening. I remember you talking to me about how terrible it was to get the bus to go to this internship. This the That was annoying. <laughs> That's uh, mostly what you complained that about. That was partially my own bad, because I didn't understand the geography of Boston when I applied for it. Yeah, that's fair enough. So then when I got it and realized how far away it was, I was like, that's my fault. Uh, I didn't Google Maps this before. But... My sophomore year of college, I did my first unpaid internship, um, and I was interning at, like, a medium-sized nonprofit theater in the Boston area, and um, I was a production intern there, so I was doing a lot of, like, reorganizing all the gels that go in the lights, and, like, they had a second stage space, and I would move the chairs around every day between performances. Yeah. Not every day, every Friday. Um, (laughs) I only went in once a week, that I didn't have class that day. Um, but, like, I'd be reorganizing the chairs so, like, it would go from, like, a thrust stage to a proscenium and da-da-da. Like, that was the work mostly I was doing. Which was a little boring, but I felt like I was getting, like, good experience and I was getting a theater on my resume, which felt very important to me. So then, one day, my boss, there were three of us interns, and it was me who came in once a week. It was one person who was in a co-op program, so she was there every day, but she was there for college credit. And then it was another girl who was there, like, two days a week. Mm-hmm. And so the boss comes to us, um, and I'm still friends on Facebook with them. They're very nice. And says, <laughs> like, for this show, the set is meant to be, like, 
knitting. And it was going to be this, like, giant knitting pro- project. By not which I mean, like, a lot of knitting. I mean, like, giant knitting. Like, with big needles and thick thread. <laughs> like, giant Like knitting. those hipster blankets. Yes. It's going to be this giant knitting project. And can you guys just research what that looks like? If there are people in the area who would do it for us, like, what the cost would be, da-da-da. So we spend this whole day, like, on Etsy, looking at stuff, da-da-da. And, like, as we're presenting this research to him, one of the other interns goes, you know, it's weird because it's, like, it's just, it's giant knitting, but it's just knitting. Like, I know how to knit. Like, it's not that hard, but it's just so weird that da-da-da. Yeah. And the guy who's my boss goes, oh, you could knit it? And this girl was like, oh, I mean, I, um, yeah, I guess... In theory, like, because it's just a yeah. simple knit stitch. It's in, like, where are you in, going in, with this? In giant. Sir? So for the rest of my internship, me and these two other girls, who were in way more than me, so I feel very bad for them, knit a set for a show they were performing. You know, like a job. Like a job that they weren't paying, like, a person who knits to do. We were doing it for free. Yeah. And I would go in, like, it was a full day, so it was six hours a day, you go in, it was these two PVC pipes that were the needles. It was giant. And then it was, like, um, six strings of twine to be the yarn. So one of us would just be untangling the twine, and the other two of us would be <laughs> controlling the needles because they were so giant. Yeah. And it's like, that is absurd. And that was the set for a professional yeah. theater production. But this, like, the thing is, like, and this is the thing that I want people to take away, like, it's not... The point is not that that work is not valuable. The point is that work is valuable. Yes. That, that is valuable work. We were set designers for literally free. Yeah. And that's total bullshit. That's bullshit. Yes. Um, so that but, was the wildest thing I've ever done at an internship. Yeah. I also want to um, quickly roast our favorite guest, Walt McGuff, and say that oh, he was that our him. internship supervisor. Oh, but I love him. We love him so much. He was um, a very good internship supervisor, He I um, only made us do his dry cleaning three times. Yeah. Which was so, you know, and big his of suit, him. And his suits were so nice. I, know. I didn't even mind. It was an honor. <laughs> <laughs> also, he had just, just had a baby. So shout out to Crossover Appeal ah. um, and their new baby. Um, I'm not. The, the podcast, all. I guess, didn't have a baby. It was it was Annie and It was the two hosts of the podcast. It was the two hosts. So we send our, our mazel tops over I can't to wait till we have a baby together. I know. I can't wait. <laughs> it's gonna be so strange, that child. Um, but you know what? Let's shake this off. Woo! All this ickiness. And We're let's free. talk about let's talk about your thing. Some other ickiness? Some other ickiness. Okay, so today I'm gonna talk about self-driving cars. Ah! The first thing I would like to say is that I don't know if I am horrified by self-driving cars. I know that sounds confusing because this podcast is called I'm Horrified, where every week we talk about things that horrify us. We're supposed to figure that out before we go on the air, Sam. I know, but I am just so undecided, and the horrifying thing is that, like, this is happening. Okay. And I don't know how I feel about it. All right, let's do this. And I'm really hoping that today, like, we'll work through the pros and cons, and together as a family, um, horror fam, is that a thing? Is that a new Twitter hashtag? Our horror fam. Our horror fam? Maybe. Horror honeys. I like that one better. We like that one. But anyway, as a bunch of honeys, we're going to figure out whether or not this technology is horrifying. So, a self-driving car is a car that can drive itself because it is full of robot. (laughs) (laughs) That's, like, the simplest way. But it uses, like, machine learning, and there's radar, and there's LIDAR, and there's lasers, and these babies can theoretically drive themselves, and you can just sit back and take a nap. Oh, well, I like the idea of a nap. I know. Don't don't we all? 
And the thing about this technology is that it exists. Like, it, it's here. We did it. Self-driving cars exist. Uh, in December of 2018, which was, like, less than a month ago. That was so soon. I know. Waymo, which is a company that, like, came from Google's self-driving car project, officially started its commercial self-driving car service in the suburbs of Phoenix. So, like, this exists. No. We did it. I don't like it. Uh-huh. I don't like that nobody asked. I know. They right? just did it. That's what I don't like either. Huh. So, <laughs> these guys are not full robot chauffeurs, so it's only available to, like, a few hundred vetted riders, and there's still a human safety operator behind the wheel right now, but, like, okay. the car is driving itself. The human is just there in case, like, the car malfunctions. Okay. In theory. Okay. How do we know that that's not just a robot with a face? Exactly. <laughs> um, so they're out and about. The people of Phoenix hate them. This is just like a fun fact is that people keep throwing rocks and slashing the tires of these cars <laughs> because they don't like that Phoenix is the test city. And one guy, like I mentioned that there are human like people in the cars that are monitoring it. One like man from Phoenix who it turned out like had dementia. So this was not totally his bad. But he literally came out with a loaded gun and pointed it at a car. And the driver was like, I'm a person in here. Like, hi, I'm a person. I'm begging you not to point a loaded gun at oh me. Oh, my God. Um, but, and then the man was like, Uber killed somebody. And his wife was like, I'm so sorry. Jeez. Oh um, Jeez, Louise. Like, that happened. So this technology exists. So breaking down the pros and cons seems silly, but we're going to do it anyway. And FYI, a lot of this info I'm about to say is coming from the Union of Concerned Scientists, which is a great source for stuff like this, for cutting-edge technology, because they've really done the work, and they often give, like, recommendations about what they think we should be doing with it. I love it. We ignore them, but still, it's nice. (laughs) So number one, safety is an overarching concern. So on the pro side, many thousands of people, um, usually around, like, 30 or 33,000, die every year in motor vehicle crashes in the U.S. So self-driving vehicles could hypothetically reduce that number. Software is, in theory, less error-prone than humans. Software can't get drunk or high, and it does not get distracted by texts. Okay. So if self-driving cars were adopted by, like, the majority of people, in theory, motor vehicle crashes would go way down. In theory. That's good. But, like, with a self-driving car, cybersecurity becomes a concern. Like, these cars could get hacked. Uh, oh. Like, remember how the Russians hacked the election? They could do that to my Volvo what? S60. Yeah, they could do that to your Mazda. No. They could do that to your Hummer. Your Prius, it's gone. No. She's hacked. They just make it drive to their house. Exactly. In Russia, so you you drown. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, and also, like, like I talked about when I talked about, um, the AI apocalypse, like, machinery has bugs. So, like, what if your car happens to have a bug and it's drive me into the ocean? Like, what do you do? That's a bad bug. That would be very bad. Um, okay, stop me if I already talked about this on the podcast, because I know I've talked to you about it in person, in real life, and sometimes the lines between in person and this podcast blur. No, no, I know it. Have I talked about how self-driving cars have to solve the trolley problem on this podcast? Oh, God, I don't even remember. I don't remember because I talk about it so much in real life. You know what? We're going to do it. We're going to do it again. I'm going to so briefly recap it. I don't think you have. But, I I mean, super fans, please tell us. Yeah, let me know. But maybe you're new to us. We're just going to be your old grandmas. Yeah. And we're just going to repeat ourselves. We don't care. Hell yeah. Okay, so... 
the trolley problem uh, is like a very famous moral quandary. And it's you are on a trolley um, and you can see on the track ahead of you are five workmen who cannot hear the trolley coming. And if the trolley continues on its track, you're going to kill those five guys. But the track diverges if you pull a lever. And if you pull that lever, the trolley will move and only kill one workman on that track. And the moral question is, do you pull that lever? And there's there's no, like, one right answer. I'm not going to tell you, like, and here's how you solve it. Like, it's just a moral quandary. Yeah, but you are evil if you pick one of them and we're not going to tell you which. <laughs> Aren't there also, like, lots of different caveats? It's like, yeah, it's like you, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I killed the one person. Then they're like, all right, well, what if the one person was a baby? Yeah. And it's like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, my favorite version of the jolly problem. <laughs> is, because there's a million versions, my favorite is, you're standing on a bridge above trolley tracks, you see the trolley coming and there's five workmen ahead on the track who are gonna get hit. On the bridge with you is a very fat man, and if you push him off the bridge onto the tracks, he will stop the trolley. That is <laughs> do you do it? bad. <laughs> it's my favorite version of the trolley yeah, problem. fat phobia lives. Because first of all, you have to be mean enough to think this person's fat enough that if I yeah, you have tracks, to be a total dick and also a murderer. A trolley. Well, no, because it's like, you don't get to choose that. I'm sorry. Now we're just at, talking about the trolley problem, but it's like, you don't get to be like, no, you deserve to die and then do it. <laughs> like, but I guess that's what pulling the lever is. Exactly. Why is it different than pulling the lever? Why did you bring this up, Sam? I'm sorry. So the thing about self-driving cars is that they have to solve the trolley problem, which humans cannot do. I'll explain why. Say you are a person in your self-driving car, Mm -hmm. and your self-driving car is driving along, and all of a sudden, there is a pedestrian in its path. Self-driving cars can't control what stupid humans do. Your car then has to make a decision. Do I hit the pedestrian that I see in front of me, or do I veer off into a wall and kill my passenger? Your car has to be able to decide. (sighs) But. And either way, I'm upset because, like, I wouldn't want to buy a car that was like, and we promise this car will kill you and not the pedestrian. I'd be like, no. But it's also unethical. I don't want it to also k- promise to kill the pedestrian. <laughs> exactly. And then it's, like, unethical. Like, what if some cars are programmed to kill the pedestrian and some cars are programmed to, pil- to kill the driver? Which one would you buy? I'm I know. Gonna put a poll on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know. So that's just, like, a spooky implication of this technology that I don't think enough people are talking about. Sorry if we talked about it before. I could talk about it all day. Now let's talk about equity, because it's another major consideration. So here's the pro. Self-driving technology could help mobilize individuals who are unable to drive themselves. Yeah. Such as the elderly, or people who are disabled. Or there's also, like, people who have seizures, and therefore they can't get a license. Or, like, a lot of people... Um, and that would be amazing and would give a lot of independence to people who currently have to rely on others to get around. Great. great. I love it. Here's the con. The <laughs> There's always a con. There's always a con. The widespread adoption of self-driving cars could displace millions of Americans employed as drivers. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so like getting in an Uber but not having to make small truck with the driver, that's a dream of mine. But it puts my Uber driver out of yeah, a job. Which you care about more than your awkwardness. Yes. <laughs> And it's also not even, like, Uber drivers. Think about pizza delivery people. Yeah. Like, they're not driving anymore because you can just put the pizza in a car and it drives to its destination. I would just take all the pizza. <laughs> That's not what the point you're getting at. The so car can't go, drive but... away with the pizza. Well. Unless it becomes intelligent 
in the AI apocalypse. Whole nother ball of wax. It's an episode I already did. Um, it could also really negatively impact public transportation funding. And we saw this when, like, Uber and Lyft became really popular. Is like, old white congressmen are like, well, we shouldn't put money into, like, transit systems because the youths are just using Uber and, and Lyft. Like, well, what about people who can't afford to use that? Exactly. So. so if our politicians are just saying people will just use Waymo, this new technology... Like, that makes it worse for everyone if there's not really robust public transit in your area. Right. So that would be bad. Now let's talk about environmental impacts. Woo! Yeah, because it would be like a thousand cars on the road. Yeah. More, more than a thousand. No, there's but... already a thousand. So that would be the con, is that, like, the more convenient it is to just order a self-driving car, the more people will use them. Like, there will be millions more miles driven each year... Especially if there is less funding for public transportation, and that gets shittier. And therefore, carbon emissions go way up if this technology becomes really popular. That's a problem. That's really bad. Here's, like, the potential pro. You could cr- just make sure that all self-driven cars are electric and paired with clean with a clean energy grid. And then you could reduce emissions... Because you've made sure this fleet of cars is, like, very good for the environment. Right. But that would mean uh, companies being moral, and I don't trust that that's going to happen. And we just talked about. Without some kind of government mandate, and that would mean the government being moral. Nope. And that ain't going to happen either. So. Uh, what to do, what to do. I know. So, like, this is very hard, but the tech is very much here. Um, in the next few years, we're really likely to see robocars either debut as highway-bound trucks, so, like, transporting things many miles, or in taxi-like fleets operating in limited conditions and areas, so their operators can avoid particularly tricky intersections and make sure everything is mapped in excruciating detail. Uh, so to take a ride, you'll probably have to, like, go to a pick-up, pick-up stop, and they'll drop you off at, like, a predetermined drop-off, um, just to make sure everything's safe. And something the Union of Concerned Scientists recommended that I think is a great idea is that you could use these cars to connect public transit systems. So, like, imagine if the green line and the red line at the end of them were connected by, like, a robot car. Yeah. I would love that. Well, why can't we just use this technology to make, like, the T move faster? Because money. That wouldn't make any money. But Marty Walsh promised us... (laughs) He didn't. Charlie Baker promised us. Charlie. How up are you guys in Massachusetts politics? (laughs) So, just to, like, to sum up, like my worries with genetically modifying humans, like my worries with, like, the superintelligence AI apocalypse, I am just worried that science is barreling forward without stopping to consider ethics of a situation. Like, for, here's another thing, Right. For these to be successful, drivers who buy robot cars will have to take special driver's ed classes to learn about the technology and, like, how it works and what to do in an emergency. And, like, is the DMV ready to teach those classes? No. Yeah, Like, there's no infrastructure for these things to exist yet. I don't know, man. I don't know how to feel. I'm horrified. Are self-driving cars good or bad? TLDR, um, that quote from Jurassic Park. (laughs) I don't remember it exactly. Is it the one where women take over the the planet? Yeah, it's that one. <laughs> All right. Well, then maybe I'm for it. I don't know, you guys. Sometimes I get really anxious about like the future. Yeah, I know that's is it just about that. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Al, about self driving cars? <sighs> Boy, um, I'm scared of robots. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like to drive on the highway. Yeah, I know that. And um. 
yeah, I don't want to watch a person die by the hands of my cold steel machine chariot as I am helpless to stop it. Yeah. So I suppose that's where I'm... That's where you're at. That's where I'm ruminating. And yet, if you go to Phoenix right now, like, you can slash the tires of a robot car. Yeah, I would love nothing more than for us to be able to, like, live tweet a ride from a <laughs> robocar for all of you. Oh, um, God. But I doubt that will happen. So, that was awesome, though. Thank you for bringing us through that. Um, where oh. do you think you land? Give us a yes or a no on the whole. You don't have to be fully, but what do you think overall? I think it could be really amazing and life-changing technology if it is put in really um, moral hands. Like, if the Union of Concerned Scientists was in charge of it, I'd be like, fuck yes. No, it's not gonna happen, though. You but know that's not gonna happen. I know it's so not gonna happen. So I guess it's happen. no, then. So because I guess it's, like, it's no. that's never gonna happen. But, like, then again, I also know in my heart that it's happening. Like, yeah. it's not whether or not I want it to. It's happening. So yeah. in ten years, I'm gonna have a fucking robot car, and so will you. On a fully related note, has everyone here seen Wally? <laughs> <laughs> Just... Just checking. Just checking in about Go that. watch that. Yeah, so I guess I'm con just because I don't believe in the morality of man. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Okay, well, in that case, uh, we're pretty sure that this week you will stay horrified. Stay horrified. Stay horrified.